Hello everyone and welcome to today's IT Showcase webinar. My name is Sarah Rogers and I'm a business program manager on the IT Showcase team focusing on security topics. I'm here with Michael Ward, Senior Program Manager in Microsoft IT and today we'll be talking to you about how Windows Information Protection can help protect corporate data. Before I pass it off to Mike to introduce himself, I'd like to let you all know that you can use the Skype Q&A window to ask us questions at any time. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Michael Ward. I'm a Senior Program Manager in Microsoft's Internal IT Department, and my work is on Windows Information Protection. Great. Well, let's dive into the content. We'll start with an overview of Windows Information Protection, what it does, and some basics on how it works. From there, we'll get into more details regarding the policy design and deployment, and we'll continue from there with what happens after the deployment, such as the support processes we have in place, some of the auditing that's available to us from the data that we get from Windows Information Protection, and we'll further go into more details of what we're doing with it internally at Microsoft. And then we'll wrap up by answering the questions that have come in during the session. Windows Information Protection is a solution to help protect corporate data without applying such protections to personal data. To do this, it makes determinations as to whether the data is work or personal based on lists of known corporate applications and known corporate resources, such as the corporate network and corporate cloud services. Data that comes from work applications or work resources will be protected. Data that comes from non-work applications or non-work resources will not be. Sounds good. So are you, you're not looking at users' personal data? Correct. Uh, we don't look at that. Data that comes from a non-corporate source, non-corporate application, WIP just ignores it. Great. There are a couple of things that Windows Information Protection does to protect work data. Data that comes from a corporate resource or corporate application, when it, when it is written to a file, the files are encrypted and can only be read by that user. This is also the case when you're downloading an entire file, such as from a corporate network resource or corporate cloud resource or corporate email. When any content is protected by WIP, there's a variety of options that are in place depending on the configuration. We'll get into these in, uh, in a bit more detail later, but there are controls or prompting of users or just operating silently in auditing when the user takes this work content and attempts to send it to a non-work destination or when they use a non-work application to access corporate resources or corporate data. On the subject of applications in Windows Information Protection, we mentioned before how there are known lists of what is a corporate application. There's two types of applications as far as Windows Information Protection is concerned. Existing applications can be used without any modification, but these are going to have to be either considered always corporate or always personal. So Mike, should folks still test their existing applications? Yes, uh, we suggest that they do still test the applications. Uh, they shouldn't need to do any modification to them, but just to make sure, you should always test before rolling it out. Okay. The other type of application is what's called an enlightened application. These applications are those that can be used for both work and personal. To be an enlightened application, the application has to be designed and coded with this capability. So what do users do with the enlightened applications? An example of this would be an application to where the user may be making documents that are personal and may be making documents that are work. A couple of things can happen. 
such as creating a new document and the user goes to save it, they're actually going to have a little choice in the file save to say, do I want to save this as work or save this in personal? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of cases to where that's going to be selected automatically for the user depending on where they're saving it. But uh, there are times to where if it's new content, the user may have to make that decision. That's generally the only decision that they're having to make with these apps. Okay. So what are maybe some enlightened application examples? Email is a really good example of an enlightened application. Outlook and the mail client that's built into Windows, those are both enlightened. And people often configure those with both their work and personal accounts on the same machine. Part of configuring Windows information protection is configuring information on the email domains that we're using. And in the case where users have done this, when they get email to their corporate account, all the content in their email and the file attachments that they download, all of those are protected by Windows Information Protection. But on the same device and in the same application, if they get email to their personal account, uh, WIP does not get involved. So for example, they get a corporate email, it's got a file attachment in it, they save it somewhere, now it has WIP protection on it. One from their personal email, no, no such protection is applied. What this also does is if they have corporate content that is uh, protected by Windows Information Protection, and they can attach it to the corporate email in this application, and nothing happens. Just WIP is not involved, no logging taking place. It's corporate to corporate. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing if it's personal to personal, or if they have a personal attachment for whatever reason, they put in their corporate email. That's all fine. The only time that WIP gets involved in this scenario in terms of any sort of controls or prompts or audits is if they're taking a corporate file or other sorts of corporate content, such as copying and pasting from a corporate website, and then they're putting it into a personal email. Right. And in this case, you know, that's when Windows Information Protection gets involved, and depending on the configuration, it may let it just happen and it will generate audit logs. Um, it may pop up a message saying you can't do that. It might just pop up a reminder saying, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Is this okay? And the person can choose to cancel or continue. Okay. So this is similar to the example you used before about WIP taking action on business email uh, versus personal. Correct. Or not doing anything to use Windows information protection uh, on people's personal email. Okay. When we configure a Windows information protection policy, there's five main policy elements that we configure. One is the list of known corporate applications. We don't have to configure you know, every single application that we have in all cases. Uh, often, uh, if there's a particular publisher of the application, such as our internal publishing solutions, we just configure that instead of configuring every single application. In addition, there we configure the list of our known corporate network resources and our corporate cloud resources. We also configure, as we uh, referred to earlier, the email domain, such as in our case, so Microsoft.com. Okay. So with the email domain, then that's, as you mentioned with our previous example, again, WIP uh, can tell the difference between the business email versus personal. Correct. That's, that's where these applications will get that information. We also configure an enforcement mode, depending on the experience we want users to have. Do we want WIP to just be invisible? and just generate audit logs for us? Or do we want it to remind users to say, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Maybe it's okay, you know, but choose whether you want to cancel or confirm, or we 
can just pop up a message that says, no, you can't do this. Okay, so all of that is configured in enforcement mode, where yes. it either pops up with a message, some kind of prompt, or just is in the back room, silent and exactly. auditing. Yeah, it's that, it's that part of the policy where you configure that. In addition to that, uh, I mentioned before about how WIP will protect uh, content by encrypting files on the device. Uh, when the file comes down from a corporate location or when it's written by a corporate application, that file gets encrypted. In the event that something happens to the machine and data has to be recovered, something else that we configure is a recovery certificate, which means that if something goes wrong with the installation on the machine and some of the data is still on the device but some isn't and the user needs to get to it again, mm -hmm. but they can't you know, uh, use the machine as they were before, then uh, what we can do is those cases, because we've configured a recovery certificate in our policy, uh, here in the internal IT department, uh, we do have a team that has access to the key to use that recovery certificate, and they can get the user's data back. Makes sense. And these policies are configured into SCCM, or System Center Configuration Manager, or Intune. Uh, we actually configure it into both. Uh, that's how we deploy it. So for our domain joined devices, they get these policies from SCCM. For our devices that are AAD joined or Azure Active Directory joined, mm -hmm. or uh, personal devices where the person's chosen to enroll into device management through Intune, we deploy the policies that way. Excellent. So when designing a Windows Information Protection Policy, there's a few big areas that we really take into consideration. One is the amount of flexibility that users have for installing applications and for configuring their devices. I mean, here at Microsoft, of course, you know, we do a lot of internal self-hosting. We also have a lot of developers. We have to be experimenting with our machines a lot. People are always writing custom tools. Mm -hmm. So that's something we have to consider in terms of comparing that to an environment where it's extremely locked down. And the IT department just gives a user a machine and says, this is your machine. It has everything on it you ever need. Uh, another thing is the frequency of changes that's going to affect what's determined by work and personal. Um, again, in our case, because we're not just making software, we're a big uh, cloud service provider, mm -hmm. there's lots of different changes we have that in that space for um, uh, new services that we're offering and for uh, just internal self-hosting of new solutions before they go to the public. So we do see a lot of change there. Other environments, they may have far fewer changes than we do. Uh, another one in terms of uh, making your application list. I, I referred to this earlier when I talked about our work applications, for example. One of the things we can do in Windows Information Protection is we can configure the application rules based on an application's publisher. So depending on Know, the set of applications that a company is using, and depending on whether or not they internally sign their internal line of business applications, they may be able to put a large number of applications in with just one rule. Interesting. So I have to ask, mm -hmm. is there one right way to configure it? There is definitely not one right way to configure it. Okay. Uh, the it's, It can vary a lot depending on the environment. My recommendation would be to Think of these three things in the environment, and then from there, start thinking about how you would design the policy. Once the policy is designed and uh, you have something that uh, you think will work, 
we recommend phasing it in, uh, and we phase it in in a couple of ways. You know, one is to start small. Uh, like anything, it's not something that you want to take and deploy tomorrow to all 120,000 of our users or whatever. So, yeah, we start small and start in WIP silent mode to where we audit only. Uh, there's, a, there's various pieces of information that we get from Windows Information Protection to help us tell whether or not the policy is accurate. Well, we're going to get into those uh, in a bit more detail uh, soon. And even though you may be starting small and starting uh, in silent mode only, okay, you want to deploy to a variety of users. Uh, users have a lot of different types of applications that they use depending on their role, depending on the department they're in, depending on what they're working in. And they have very different workflows. They may be using different sites. You know, they may be using uh, email in different ways. And with from content they get in email, opening in certain applications. So you do want to start small and start in silent mode, but have some good variety. Yeah, there's an interesting feature for this in Windows Information Protection called WIP Learning. Uh, there's an event log that's generated that's not for auditing. It's just for helping to learn your policies. We'll cover it in a bit more detail later, but we do have the audit logs that give us some detailed information if a person does something such as you know, takes a corporate file and goes to a non-corporate website and uploads it, or they open it from a non-corporate location. But there's a much leaner, less detailed log in addition to that that is just for helping to learn your environment and learn what adjustments you need to make to your policies. What these do is just log brief information, such as, you know, hey, a user opened a corporate uh, protected file, WIP protected file, with this application. You know, or a user took this uh, sort of content and you know, put it, uploaded it to this website or pasted it in this application. So that allows IT department to collect that information uh, and look through it and start looking at, you know, are some of these applications that I missed? That, that's really what this is for. You know, did you miss something where you configure your policies? In preparing for support and troubleshooting of Windows Information Protection, uh, we, we did a few things. One is we had to provide some awareness to our help desk and our users. The awareness that we provide is going to depend largely on how we've configured Windows Information Protection and which of those enforcement modes that we've chosen. Based on that, you have to think of what is normal to expect. Uh, for example, if deploying in silent mode to where it's not popping up these reminders to users, well, it's not normal to expect that these reminders will get popped up to users. We also have to think of you know, what's not normal. Uh, help desk is going to have to know if users call in. There may be a, an issue. It might be related to Windows Information Protection. It might not be. But we had to at least inform them of you know, here are the sort of things that a user might call in with. Some of them aren't even really issues or problems. And some of them can be a small little indicator in the web browser, such as Microsoft Edge, that indicates that it's a Windows Information Protection protected website. It's one of our corporate sites. Uh, there's also an indicator in File Explorer you know, that tells you the file ownership and whether it's protected by WIP or not. Uh, a lot of users don't even notice these things. Some do, and some of those may call help desk. So when we look at the environment that we have and the expectations for how we're going to be rolling it out, 
We just take that information and make sure that we have it documented for users at an internal site that just tells them, hey, this sort of thing is coming. You will see some of these changes. And for help desk, telling them what's new and what to expect and what's maybe a problem. So they can use that and identify whether or not it's that sort of issue or that sort of call that they're getting. Okay. So are there any other things that you would uh, offer to help desk or to users to help them prepare? Well, that's a good point. There is one additional thing other than just plain awareness, which is uh, I referred to earlier with the enlightened applications and the drop-down box mm -hmm. and, and where they can choose for a new document if it's saved as work or personal or how if they're trying to save it directly to a corporate resource, they don't get that choice. It's always work. We do have that information as well because you know, that's something to where now the user's taking an action. Uh, that, that's in our environment, mostly that's the ex full extent that the users have to worry about it and think about it is just making that choice. If they're saving it at a location that it's not already chosen for them. If they save it locally, it's brand new content, they get that choice. So we do inform them about that. Okay. For troubleshooting issues, one of the things that we do and that we've provided some help desk training on, if they suspect that Windows information protection might be related to a behavior a user is seeing, in the task manager in Windows, there's actually a column available now to tell you whether the application is a WIP application or not. It will tell you whether or not WIP is applying to that application. Mm -hmm. So they can actually do that and see if someone is having trouble opening something or maybe their file save isn't behaving as they expect. Uh, that's part of the troubleshooting steps is thinking of, okay, so is the application uh, under WIP policies? Is the re resource under WIP policies? Is the content under WIP policies? And all that information is uh, available to them. And for the applications, uh, they can go into Task Manager and take a look and, and see what, that, what the WIP status is of it. The audit and learning logs actually help point out some Windows information protection uh, information as well that's sometimes useful for troubleshooting. The learning logs and the audit logs, they might be indicating uh, audit activity even when perhaps it's not expected. Maybe we missed an application and need to update our policies. That can be part of the troubleshooting steps uh, as well. key example of where data recovery comes into play, as you can imagine, or as you know, at Microsoft, you know, there's a lot of Windows installation activity going here. I install a new build or really get a new build on my device multiple times a week. Wow. And, yeah, and I'm always building new test uh, machines. And in all of these updates, uh, that's fine. Nothing, yeah. WIP works just fine when we're doing updating from one build to another. Uh, an example of where data recovery would be needed is when the user just goes in and does a whole fresh install on the device. You know, their files may still be there. You know, they had them in a local folder, C colon backslash Mike, and they had these files there and some of them were WIP protected, but now they've gone in and completely re done a new Windows installation. The old one you know, they can't use anymore and they still have this folder with the files. In that case, they're gonna need a recovery on that data because the key that 
Windows Information Protection was using, it was associated not just with that user, but with that previous installation. Oh. And so in those cases, there is an option for doing data recovery, as I uh, mentioned before. What's, what's interesting is that in, the, in uh, the most recent version of Windows and beyond, we don't have to go and recover every single file. Uh, there's just one single backup key that has to be recovered, and then the users can get access to their data again. The best way, though, for people to avoid this is don't store files like that. Use something like a corporate sync solution, such as OneDrive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing a reinstall of Windows when you had WIP protected local files, that's not the only way that people lose their files. Yeah. I mean, you know, devices can die, they can get lost, they can get stolen. So you definitely want to use a corporate solution. I've never had to have any files uh, myself recovered that were protected by Windows Information Protection. And I have done many installations and reinstallations and reinstallations in, uh, for a lot of the devices and virtual machines that I use for a test environment. And every time it's simple. I do the new installation, I log on, and my files sync down from my corporate OneDrive. And, uh, web beta recovery is not needed in those situations. Yeah, OneDrive is great. Yeah. There's two main types of logging that we get from Windows Information Protection, one of which is the learning logs, and these exist to help verify that your policies are accurate. Uh, it's very lean and small, doesn't give you a bunch of detailed auditing information. Um, it's logged once per device, so if a particular non-work application, for example, opens a Windows Information Protection file on that device 50 times a day for a week, it, it's logged once. Because this is not an audit log, it's just a learning log. Uh, the point of the learning logs is to help learn your environment and help learn how your Windows Information Protection policies are comparing to the actual environment you have. So it's something to where we can take a look at those and look for things that we may have missed. And we can see that and see that, yeah, hey, here's something we missed. We do need to add this. The other type is the auditing log. In a couple of the Windows Information Protection modes, the silent mode where it does nothing but just audits, and the override mode where it'll pop up a message for the user and say, are you sure you want to do this? You know, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not, and they can click yes, confirm, please continue. When that happens, and audit logs are generated for you know, each time that activity occurs. Unlike learning logs, which are meant just to learn the environment, where it's logged a type of activity, a type of app or site, it's logged just once on the machine, auditing logs happen every time. And that gives us a lot of detailed information. It will give us the device name, it will tell us which user it was, give us a, a date and timestamp, tell us what application was used, and give us the full file path and name, and in some applications, such as using Microsoft Edge to uh, upload a file to a website, it'll even tell us what site it went to. I referred to earlier some of the considerations that have to go into designing a Windows Information Protection Policy. I mean, uh, here at Microsoft, our considerations are rather interesting. Um, for, for one, we make all the parts of this. You know, we make Windows, we make a lot of enlightened applications, we make the cloud services that we use. We make the OneDrive Sync client, which is also the SharePoint Sync client. We uh, you know, make the device management platforms that we're using. So because of that, uh, we really have to do a little bit of everything. 
So that was a big consideration in terms of, you know, how do we leverage all the different options and features and how do we leverage all these different pieces, you know, for our internal uh, validation previous prior to release as well as uh, getting feedback from our own internal users. So, so we really had to think of how do we do a bit of everything here. The other one is that we, of course, have lots of developers. Yeah, <laughs> M meaning that our application situation, it's not as uh, clear and defined and unchanging as it is in a lot of uh, environments. So developers are making new tools constantly. And so even if we had this perfect list of knowing every single tool that they're going to use, okay. it will be updated by the time I'm done typing it. Right. Yeah, so, so all of those considerations went into thinking about, you know, how are we going to use this internally? What are we going to do with Windows Information Protection uh, inside of Microsoft? With those considerations in mind, for our you know, internal deployment that is owned and managed uh, internally by the IT department, we're doing that in WIP silent mode mm -hmm. so that you know, it doesn't really interfere with what users are doing. It allows the same sort of actions to happen that were happening before. But it does generate uh, audit logging for us, such as when work data is being sent to a non-work location or being accessed by a uh, non-work application. Uh, and also, and this, this one's really interesting, when it's copied to a USB drive. Uh, again, it's only for content that came from a work application or work resource. Someone uses their personal email to download personal photos and put some on a USB drive. Uh, we don't care and we don't see it. Windows Information Protection is not involved there. But for things that come from a corporate location or come from corporate email, they take a whole bunch of files and they drag them from there over to a USB drive or over to a solution such as their personal OneDrive. We got audit logging on all the files they did that with. Okay. But it's actually invisible to the user, though. It works the same as it always did. Another interesting thing that we get from this is, along with the detailed audit logging, we can use summaries of the audit logging as well as information from the learning logs to get a picture of our overall metrics. What are the general trends that we see? It's one thing to look at this, you know, these specific files from this specific you know, user's machine, but we also look as well in terms of what are the big trends in terms of what, what's happening with the corporate data? What sort of things are our users doing with the corporate data? Okay, so if you were to see some unwanted trends overall, what types of actions would you take? Yeah. Um, it, it varies. It's usually going to be around uh, broader user education awareness campaigns. Uh, there's a lot of times when users aren't really aware or aren't really thinking about exactly what they're doing in all cases with corporate data. Mm -hmm. uh, we also might want to survey our users about you know, that sort of scenario and the solutions because there may be something we can improve in our own solutions. We want our solutions to be easy and simple to use. And if, if there's something to where users are saying, well, I just prefer using some other solution, we, we want to know why. What can we do to fix it? What can we do to improve it? Okay. With this, we, we get a lot of uh, logging data. 
from uh, from all the activity from a lot of devices. You know, so a lot of data is going to be available. So the question is, you know, how, how do you look at the data? What do you do with it? And that, that's again something that the approach is going to vary depending on the organization's particular needs. Uh, the data itself stays on the device. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the audit logging data stays on the device and uh, different sorts of solutions have to be used to get the logging data from those devices, such as using Windows event forwarding that we configure via group policy mm -hmm. to where we forward these selected events off to a storage location that uh, is used by information security department. And so in terms of how that's done, it's again one of those things where there's no right way to do it, no right way to approach what you do with that data. Um, it may be something to where an organization may want to set up some ongoing queries to look for sort of activity. They may not want to look at it until something happens and may be looking back to say, okay, what sort of data related to this might have been moved from here to there at a time in the past. Uh, it's again a situation where an organization will look at what their needs are and make the determination as to what process they want to use to analyze this data that they're collecting from uh, their corporate environment about their corporate data use. Great. Well, here's some uh, links to some more information if you're interested about Windows information protection. Well, that brings us to the end of the presentation portion of the webinar. Thank you.